0: Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So it's been a minute since we had sort of a more traditional. Midriff episode, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, Since the last interview, I released the Gender and Music Gear Experiences Report, which I hope you check out if you haven't already. And I'll link that in the show notes for if you want to check it out. Um, Shortly after that, then, I held the very first beta round of a new online course called No We Denied, Creating an Inclusive Music Retail Space for Managers. And that was a lot of fun, and just so great to get to meet up with music retail managers, like, and for you know a few different stores, and like talk about just all the different ways to create better spaces. And the folks that I worked with were just so amazing, and you know, on the front end of like doing good work in this area. But it definitely felt like, given the results of the report, which basically were like, music stores are a space where people have bad experiences. Um, You know, it it, it definitely felt especially important, given the results of the report, to be having that conversation. So I'm hoping to be able to to run that again at some point um, in the near future so that, you know, more people have um, the opportunity to have that conversation, too. So other than that, um, I've attended a few localish, like, pedal shows that were really rad. So there was one in Worcester. Um, Brooklyn Synth and Pedal Fest, the pedal party in Plainfield, Connecticut uh, last weekend. And it's just been so cool to get out there and meet folks in person again. Man, it's been a while. <laughs> it's just, it felt really invigorating. And I feel like I've had a lot of connections. And I'm sure a lot of you've had the same experience where it's like you're having a lot of these like online connections, but to be able to actually have those in person again has been just so great. And obviously like trying out cool pedals and stuff too. That doesn't hurt, but all, the people are <laughs> in some ways better. I'm not I mean, better is it's hard to say. Pedals are cool. I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna vote on the side of people this time. All right. So I've also been playing music more regularly with a couple of projects in the works, including a sort of like gothy, goth adjacent project. I don't know exactly. We're not sure. Uh, called Hansy. Which is fun, and uh, with some awesome friends and musicians, and then another project that's sort of in the works as well, which is hopefully going to end up happening soon. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm, I would say, I've sort of just been like personally looking forward to 2023 a lot, and kind of like thinking about what's up for the podcast. You know, I think there's going to be some pretty good things coming up for sure. I'm, I'm real psyched about. I have definitely missed these regular episodes, and I'm glad to be back having conversations. With awesome, awesome folks again and like sharing them <laughs> so that people can hear them um, and like having that exchange. It's been really, really nice and hoping to do more of that again in 2023. So moving forward. So with that, let me tell you quickly about today's guest Jen and Adam from Stompbox Sonic. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while. You know they are amazing supporters of the show, and it was awesome to get to sit down with them. So, Stampbox Sonic sells pedals, but they do so in sort of a bespoke fashion, if you will. Like they, you know, they sometimes go out to venues or practice spaces to help musicians try out their pedals in a natural environment. Um, they have a wide array of boutique and unique pedals to choose from, and I've had two sessions with them personally, and you know, wound up with like really cool pedals that I wasn't necessarily expecting to end up with and have been really psyched about, um, that they sort of let, like intuited based on what I said I was looking for, what I'm interested in, what I was playing while I was there. So it was just, it was, um, yeah, it's been a really cool and unique experience. And I, if you haven't, I hope you have a chance to work with them at some point, um, because they are doing virtual consultations as well. Anyway, Jen and Adam Have uh, a really cool perspective on the industry and their experience as small business owners, especially in the current climate, which is wild, as you know. So, uh, two quick notes before we get into that. First, the audio is a little bit weird in a couple of spots. I did my best to fix it. So, hopefully, that is worked itself out. Um, Second, this episode was recorded 1 million years ago in May. (laughs) So the events that they reference at the end of the episode already happened, but I checked with them and everything else should be spot on. So no worries there. Thanks to Jen and Adam again for their patience in getting this episode out the door. It's been a minute. So thank you for that. All right. Before we get into the interview, I do want to thank this episode's sponsors. So thank you to Earthquaker Devices. Um, I am absolutely delighted at two recent Earthquaker items. So first is the wild rainbow of colors that their petals are now available in. It just it's it's like it's just so fun uh, and just like kind of stunning in different ways. Is that funny? I don't know. But I'm going to go with it, <laughs> and of course, the release of their new regularly available Life Pedal. I have only played Life Pedal once at Nam, but it was outstanding. And as you are probably aware, you know it, it's just it, it's uh, it's just crushing. It's so good, um, and you know the octave to me really brings it sort of to the next level. Um, I'm hoping to grab one for myself shortly as well. In addition to that, there's been some really cool videos they've been featuring um, recently. The Beths, uh, remembering Mimi Parker from Low, Emily Hopkins' visit to Earthquaker Day. Good stuff all around. Watch all those videos or check out the life pedal at earthquakerdevices.com. Up next, we have Holcomb Guitars. Nick Holcomb builds beautiful custom guitars to your specifications and has a mobile guitar repair setup too and that means that he will literally come to you in Rhode Island or Massachusetts either like fixing your guitar on site picking it up dropping it off when it's done it's pretty outstanding and so convenient it really is great um yeah he's prepared, modified, set up a bunch of my own instruments. And um, I definitely trust him to do that. Uh, I also like knowing that he shares values on important topics. And I'm guessing if you were listening, that's important to you too. And, you know, just generally not being treated like a child when you are interacting with somebody who's going to fix your instrument. um, Seems good. I recommend it. All right. (laughs) Uh, So if you want to learn more, check out HolcombGuitars.com or follow him on Instagram at HolcombGuitars. Last but not least, thanks to Demonic Machines. So Demonic Machines is a new sponsor that is LGBTQ plus owned and operated, making small batch handmade pedals in San Diego, California. And, you know, you may have seen me playing one of their Klon copies, which share the same circuit. So there's two of them. I have the homunculus, which I love, and you can uh, find a video of me playing that on Instagram as well. And uh, the other model is called the HTR, which has the semi-famous snarky comment on it. It says, I mean, it's not like I can just go buy an authentic one for a reasonable price bill which is pretty hilarious, and the pedal community at large has also found it very hilarious, so uh, <laughs> definitely check that out. But beyond that, they have a slew of just rad overdrives, fuzzes, distortions, filters, modulation, octaves, all kinds of stuff. Um, their website includes a statement about a clear commitment to social justice, so if that is your jam, which I imagine if you're here it is, you know the place to go. So check out uh, demonicmachines.com for more. All right. As always, you can follow along with Midriff between episodes on Instagram and Facebook at Midriff Podcast. And with that, let's get I into my interview with Jen and Adam. welcome to midriff hello thanks for being here yay yeah so for folks who for some reason might not know you can you introduce yourself your names your pronouns and a little bit about yourself and your background with music whoever wants to go first so I am
1: Jen. I use the She Series for pronouns, and I am a, a teaching artist. My background with music is I play guitar and drums and a few local projects, and I am one half of Stompbox Sonic.
0: Yay! All right. And Adam,
2: how about you? Hello, I'm Adam, and I use a he, him pronouns. And I've been playing music since 1988 or thereabouts and play guitar and bass and just played in a, a number of different bands. And yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about your current projects that you're in or not in or projects you've been in? Just like to give people a little bit of background.
1: Sure. I'm currently playing in a, like a pop punk band in Boston called Pitt Stain and I'm drumming in that band. It's a, it's a
0: power pop trio. That is such an amazing band name. (laughs) I I can't take credit
2: for that. Fine.
0: Cool. Adam, how about you? What's happening or has happened for you? Let's
2: see. I've played in a a few different bands over the years. Um, Right now, just kind of, I guess, like a lot of people, just kind of emerging from the hibernation and doubt and fear of the pandemic and starting to think about playing music. Yeah. But I'm very excited to be. A friend has invited me to play some indie rock covers at an upcoming Porch Fest this summer. So. Yay shaking off some rust and learning some tunes so i'm excited for that but over the years i've played in a band called lock Groove, broken river prophet tiny amps i played bass in in shauna carmody of the swirlies and syrup usa's a solo project yeah a lot of other bands there was a band that I, it was just sort of getting underway at the beginning of the pandemic called we never quite settled on the name there was bicker or bicker family band <laughs> for the two and i think you know once that will hopefully happen again. And then had a, a band also kind of around that same time, where a, a number of friends we played the soundtrack from a '80s anime called Star Blazers, and a friend of ours had would remix animation from that, and so we play with the live projections. Wow, it was a big multimedia. That game. sounds very
0: intense. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't. I, I think. I wonder. I don't know about you. were playing with Shauna at the time, but I might have played with you like a million years ago in like 2004 or five or something.
2: Uh, Yeah, that would have been. Yeah, like I
0: I played in this band called Sweet Thieves for a while.
2: And yeah, yeah, I played
0: bass in that band. And I think we played a show with you somewhere, maybe in Somerville. Let's say that. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was a long time ago. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah,
0: very good. It's all coming together. So... Do you want to talk a little bit about your first, both of your like first experiences with gear? What, how did you get into music? Like, what was your sort of like, I mean, briefly your uh, process, and then like your first kind of first first gear?
1: Sure. I growing up had always wanted to, you know, play guitar, drums, like the more rock and stuff, and mm-hmm. as with many folk stories, like it was not encouraged by the adults in school, or if it was like. Very folky acoustic guitar, which is not where I was at when I was, mm. you know, in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. You know, just wasn't where I wanted to be. So I didn't actually start getting into playing guitar until college, and then mm-hmm. or second college, and not first <laughs> college, second college, and uh, and my introduction into more of the the gear side of things was through Adam mm. my first. Electric guitar was a Hagstrom D2F, uh, mm-hmm. like, Red Sparkle with the F-hole, and it was gorgeous and weighed a ton. And uh, and my first, like, acoustic that, like, I bought and purchased because I adored it was a Epiphone Everly Brothers guitar. And it, like... Oh, cool. Got, like, a really small radius neck and, like, was starting to see some of the differences between playing some of, like, Adam's guitars and Friends guitars of, like how different those things can be and how much easier certain things can be to play.
0: Yeah. You your body. Yeah. I feel like with acoustics, sometimes that can be extra clear because they're so physically large, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that model, but I'm now I'm curious. I'm have to look that up. That sounds very cool. Did you have an amp at the time or like anything else that you were sort of getting into?
1: I was sharing gear with Adam. Mm-hmm. There was plenty around. Yep. I'm trying to, Think like before buying amps, because we did have plenty and those are big real estate items. It was more starting with some of the pedals and effects and whatnot. But the first amp that I bought for myself, I bought off one of my friends who I've played music with, is a Hovercraft Andromeda. And that's one that I absolutely adore. Like the clean tone and the the reverb on that.
0: Nice. That's awesome. And drums, where did that come in for you? (laughs) Drums
1: was because Adam and I had gone into a friend's art gallery and she was planning her 30th birthday party and it was going to be like a cover show and it's like how come you don't have I think it was like what was it black sabbath and iron maiden and it's like how come you're not playing low like every time we come into the gallery low is playing she's like cuz nobody wants to do it and it's like we'll do it and so I was like cool I'll play guitar and sing and Adam's like I'll play guitar and sing and it's like we can't both do that so like oh
0: there is that yeah
1: i yeah. do What at the time felt like the short straw, and then it's Uh just like, oh, drums are amazing. Like they, they're super therapeutic and not as hard or scary as you may think or may have been told going into it. So yeah, I picked it up then and just kind of never wanted to stop playing. So I got to play in an all-female Pixies cover band, playing drums, and it's just like, you know, if that doesn't feel powerful, then you know,
0: yeah. yeah, that's always the thing with drums for me. It just is, it's like so physical, so physical. And I mean, so you've you've been at the camp there up in Boston as well, the rock camp up there. Yes. And we always, like for like our ladies rock camp or adult rock camp would always fill up with drums immediately. Mm-hmm. Everyone wanted to play the drums. And it's just like, it's so interesting. And I've talked about it here a couple of times, but it's just, it's continually, continually fascinating to me, the dynamic of like people just like, wanting to hit something really hard <laughs> and the power in that. Yeah. So not then, that you don't get that from guitar or bass, but it's, it feels more visceral.
1: Yeah. And the almost like dancey, like automatic danciness that comes through it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like watching the adults at LRC Boston was like part of the like, well, if they can do this in a weekend, like I could do this in a month, like yeah. I got
0: this. So, um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like the reciprocal, you know, inspiration, which I feel like is very real in all ways totally. Were you borrowing drums initially or were you, how did that, how did, or did you have them around or?
1: We had some that I was able to borrow from a friend at a shared practice space initially, like for the initial practice. But after playing, it's just like, I got to get a kit and was very lucky to be in a position to do so. And a friend had recommended CNC. So oh cool, to go up and try a kit and it's like, it was a good size, amazing sound. And so that's just going to be After playing guitar, it's like you kind of know, like, well, if you're going to do this, you should just invest, you know, instead of the student model, the intermediate and so on. So, so yeah,
0: Yeah, if you're feeling serious about it, you're like, okay, I'm going to, like, do it for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to have the like kind of like gear related practice on one instrument and be like, I know how to like, you know, like how to develop this relationship and pick things out for myself and like what that looks like. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Transferable skills. Yes. I've never played those drums before, but they seem beautiful, like very solid. And they seem like they would be very punchy. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, they've got, I have a smaller, the bebop kit and it's like, yeah, it's very bright, very warm. Shortly after getting the kit, I switched to a wooden beater because I just Mm, really loved mm -hmm. the way that that attack was. But it has been interesting because musically, I tend to gravitate towards that lower, heavier, like I really probably should have like a 26 (laughs) or greater. (laughs) 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 <laughs> 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 uh, um, and uh, somehow ended up
0: with the opposite is it a 16 it's a 20 so it's okay 19. all right that's not that small
1: yeah but yeah everything else is like so bright and it's like oh, yeah this is different but it's
0: mm. great. that's yeah. nice and what do you use for symbols i have
1: a lot of the peisty symbols like I had initially gotten the kit while i was feeling things out because that's like super expensive to start yeah. experimenting yeah. with symbols but I yep. started upgrading to uh, to some other things that I've gotten to test out and try, and got a couple of dream symbols after testing mm. the metronium, and just love like the whole like recycled aspect and yep. you know sustainability, which is really important, especially with gear.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know. The wood kick, like I have the, I feel like I had like some traumatic experience where I got, like I was playing with one and then it like had the, did the thing where it like hits your foot. And I <laughs> probably at the time, like just didn't think to adjust it or was like just so into it that I didn't think about it. And I ended up with a giant bruise. And then I just was like, I'm scared. I had the yeah. big welt the first time. I was <laughs> like, that was dumb.
1: Like let's do this. And of course yes. did it multiple times. And it's just, I like, mean, well, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you don't think about it until it's the next time to play. And then you're like, oh, I don't remember. I have to adjust it. I have to turn a thing. I don't know what it is. Yeah. 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 I still don't know how to adjust that. I know that I should know. It's one of those little knobbers. I'm just going to call it a knobber. That's obviously the appropriate term. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure it's a technical term for
0: everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A doodad. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So Adam, your first gear, you want to talk about it?
2: Yes. My first gear. So when I first started taking guitar lessons, the shop that I was going through, we rented a, it was a Montoya Stratocaster copy. And I remember it being, I don't know what it actually weighed, but it just was very heavy. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and I'd start hanging around with other like kids in my high school who played guitar. I, I feel like someone had a Les Paul that was like comparable weight so it was just and i remember within the first year of playing the strap that i had gotten like it just ripped from the weight of it but it's like you know you, you don't know any different it was just nope. like this is the guitar and i loved it because it was you know my, my first guitar and then the second guitar i so said that was a rental and then i switched music shops and then had a hondo strat copy which was like three quarters of the weight, wow. same size, yeah. you know, but it was like super light. Yep. And so then that's when I could start practicing like the rock moves. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Doing, uh-huh.
2: You know, with, with my skills and stuff. And one of the things that kind of set me on the, I guess the path of like thinking about trying to think about music and gear and stuff differently was I remember that the place that I was switching to take lessons or trying to find some place closer to home and had gone into this one music shop and and we we're ta- chatting and they're like well i don't know if our teacher's taking on any more students and he's like well he's finishing up so if you want to hang out for a few minutes and you know chat with them and he came up and he did the like you know size me i'm <laughs> like what do you want to learn because this is you know like 80 what did i say 80 yeah so it was like you know heavy metal was a thing shredding was a thing and he's like what do you want to learn do you want to learn you know this or that and i was like oh you know I, I really love you know chuck berry and buddy holly and but i think i want to learn jazz like i think that's a thing because my dad was really into jazz so that was kind of like a like what i had been exposed to and he was just like she <laughs> stared at us you know we were talking and then it's kind of hit it off and then and so they're like okay yeah i think i can find a slot you know for you And you got in yeah He's like, you understand. Okay. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it was like, it was a good introduction. And he was like really great about sort of his whole approach is we don't, we're not going to learn songs. Mm. We're going to like learn a mm-hmm. lot of the fundamentals. And like his, his big thing was like being able to improvise off things. And to an extent, I probably wasn't as great a student in sort of learning what I should have learned. But I feel like I learned so much just in sort of how to like approach music think about music and dissect music or how like being thoughtful in how you, what you want to play or what you want to hear in something. But, but so, yeah, so that kind of, it's like the springboard. And then that music shop ended up being a focal point for me, just in terms of like how they treated customers and, you know, their kind of approach and like the people would, it was like, a kind of like a hangout place. Right were all sorts of musicians coming through and they had the stuff that they liked but they always just sort of made people feel welcome like it definitely had the like there was a you know rock and roll kind of vibe there but they were just like super low-key and you know people would just like folks who lived in the area would just like come by with like oh hey check out this like 50s telecaster Mm. that like you know
0: and it wasn't like they were selling it it was like they were like let's check take a look at it
2: there would be stuff that they were selling, but then just like they, it was just a place that people would right. come and just hang out. And, you know, like similarly when you had come by the shop yeah. and you brought your guitar, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, it just became a place like, Oh, it's Saturday afternoon. I'm out running errands. Yeah. Let me swing by, you know, yeah. and my, you know da, da, da. And just while I was either waiting for my lesson or waiting to get picked up afterwards, I would just kind of like hang out kind of the back be- in the background and just watch all of this. <laughs> and yep. then, you know and then somebody would just hand like you know a 61 sg to me be like hey what do you think of this like so you just it was just like such a great experience to like not only see these things but have people explain why things about it yeah. or you know like oh this would be used on you know this is this like what so-and-so used on such and such a song and then if i heard that song on the radio it'd be like hey yeah oh, that's really cool <laughs> that's what a you know, a plexi is. Or right, right. And so, yeah, it was just like a really interesting exposure, you know, to do yeah. a lot of these things. And it was sort of like, it, it didn't have that feel of you couldn't go in and you couldn't play certain things because it was so valuable right. or so old. They were sort of like wanting to share that knowledge with people, you know,
0: it was like, everything Um, was open. Like you could, it wasn't like (laughs) hands off the guitars on the, you know, like on the wall, you can't play it. It was like a a nice, like open introduction kind of. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if someone had gone in there and was like, not, didn't treat things with respect, then that would be sure. that sort of kindness would be (laughs) revoked. But, um, but it was sort of that, like, if you were open to it and like, you know, and yeah, it was just fun to listen and learn and kind of be involved in a conversation and, you know, f- feel like your wisdom is being imparted. And, yeah. you know, some of it you don't quite get when you're right. you know, at 13 or 14, but like, I sort of got a sense like this is something. You
0: know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it sounds like you, so you had this early kind of introduction into like what a retail, like a positive retail experience could be. So then eventually you ended up kind of starting Stompbox Sonic, which if people are following the podcast, they're probably familiar with. And <laughs> but you might now you're going to hear it from the source. So can you explain, talk a little bit about what Stompboxonic is, what its goals are, how it started, all of that?
2: Sure. Yeah, it, it really started from you know, playing in bands and, and traveling around and, you know, just finding, you know, just, it's always fun to go to like a new town and a new area and kind of peek around in the record stores and the music shops and just see what's available that wouldn't be available somewhere else. And then you start to pick up on like, Oh, this place is really cool. And you know, and this place is like, they have really cool stuff, but they're a little, <laughs> uh-huh you try to ask too many questions or you know and it's like and i sort of learned over the years like I, like i i can all I, I always try to see things from kind of both perspectives like you know from the store perspective mm-hmm. it's like a million people come in a day and want to try this and do that and you know everything gets maybe get gets thrashed or you know not treated with respect and is this person you know is this you know scrawny long-haired musician dude actually gonna buy this Mm -hmm. thing and it's like but that's the other like the flip side is like you never know who it is because i can't tell you how many times it's just like okay you know i'm going on tour and i want to have a backup guitar and i'm like this place has always has some really cool stuff i'm going to go in and you know if it's within this budget i'm just gonna do it because you know and then just be like wow this person was really not pleasant to work with and although i really love this guitar like the principle of like, I don't want to support this, how I was treated, or I don't want to support how they treated my band member or my friend, you know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, that's, I'm going to either do without or get something else. And so it was just, Hey, I I could probably like, I don't know a lot about business and I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I also like, I want to have a place where, you know, people don't get Made to feel that way, and then also just the other thing is like in traveling around and buying stuff, I'm like, oh my god, I tried this really awesome fuzz pedal, and then I get at home or to sound check, and I'm like, oh, this sounds exactly like the fuzz pedal I already have, Mm -hmm. but it there's like or covers similar territory or or doesn't quite work with my setup or my amp or whatever. Like it sounded really great with the guitar, you know, that I was using in the shop, but or vice versa, you try it, you're like, this doesn't sound that great, and then. I'd see a band, you know, a band use it. And it's like, wow, this sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's probably because whatever thing I was using in that store, like that, it just didn't bring it up. So that was the kind of the idea is like, I want to create a situation where people can hear things in the way, as close as the way to they would be using it, you know, and especially if it's like, sometimes I use alternate tunings or weird tunings. And, you know, some shops are cool about you bringing your guitar and other shops are mm-hmm. not. And then started to think, well, you know, we I'd meet musicians who didn't play guitar. They played something else or, you know, had like circuit bent things right. or, you know, viol- violin, whatever, cello. And it's like, it's difficult to bring that to places. And again, some people are open to it. Some people right. are not. And like, What if there is a place where just, yeah, it's cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You can set up an appointment and the shop is yours to experiment, to ask questions. There's no, you know, you know, it's all about finding your sound. This was the impetus. Yeah. That.
0: So it seems it's like a very like customized experience, but also a very applied experience, essentially. Like that's kind of what you're aiming for.
2: Yeah. And, and obviously, like I wanted to use, you know, it's like I come from a guitar background, so I understand that. But and but I also understand not everyone plays guitar likes the things that I like, Mm -hmm. but that's okay, you Mm -hmm. know, but I figure like I want to hear what someone's like taking the time to understand what someone's trying to do. And maybe that I can be helpful with guiding someone to that and then uh, taking that same approach to to other instruments that like I think it's really cool, like, you know, to want to add effects or use things in a kind of non-traditional or unorthodox way. And there should be less barriers to that, Yeah, you know, to to creating and experimenting with sound.
0: Yeah. The barriers thing I think is important. And I think there are ways that like having that sort of more intimate experience, it allows for like, okay, I'm going to like try this thing out and I don't have like... All of these other people around me, like it can be like just me (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like and you all and like that can be it. And that and it doesn't have to be like that high pressure, like giant music store (laughs) scenario in order to decide how you feel about a particular item.
2: Definitely. And, and it's also like, you know, and I totally get that sometimes it's the anonymity of just going into a store is also really nice because, you know, you just kind of want to like scope out the scene, see what's available. Right. And, you know, but it's sort of the idea is sort of like, OK, OK, you're taking the plunge with your music to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, you know, either you're whether or not it's OK, I want the specific pedal, but OK, I these all seem like good contenders. Yep. Like I've narrowed it down to these and I just sort of want to AB them now right. and see what works because this pickup tends to, you know, behave it this way in this situation. Yeah.
0: yeah. Do you have, like, are there particular ways that you both figure out how, like the types of, like the types of pedals that you want to get in? Like, how do you decide who you want to work with? What does that process look like?
1: The people that we want to work with are basically people who are demonstrating that they are supportive members of the music community. And it's Mm -hmm. like, we want to work with small builders. We want to work with small builders who encourage, you know, exploration, experimentation with people's music and not not gatekeepers, like not people who want to kind of hold back for certain music types or musicians and whatnot, and not people. I mean, we're a small business, so it's like, we want to support small businesses and yeah. Ideally, we would want to be supported as a small business as well. So it's like we're trying to find like-minded folks. And I feel like for the most part, like all of the stuff that we have in are coming from companies who are doing like really amazing things and would be the first ones to give back to their communities and to Mm -hmm. support each other and their fellow musicians.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like like... I mean, obviously you're in Boston. I don't know yeah. what your relationship is as far as like the, how much you're doing stuff outside of Boston or like what, how, where people come to you through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm I, obviously like it seems like you have stuff from kind of all over, but it does, it is very like curated in that way too. But I'm curious like how much of that is like a very local thing versus kind of beyond and then how that, I guess, both with regard to the, the pedals that you, the companies that you work with, but also the customers that you have.
1: Yeah. pedal company wise like I think when we first got started like there there really weren't that many builders mm-hmm. in Boston that we were aware of or who were at that point of selling two businesses when we got started Quaker devices in Akron was one of our first like mm-hmm. smaller boutique companies and like we really wanted to work with you know the small boutique strange effects um mm-hmm. the less commercially available stuff and basically have the things that nobody else had, you know, available. Like you could read about, hear about, and then try. And we've been really fortunate to see a big change in the Boston area, like builder scene and have been able to support the local builders and watch them develop and grow and kind of be a part of their story and for them to be a part of ours. Adam, you can share about the clientele if you like.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, I think initially I, I, was sort of just focusing on kind of, okay, I'm going to start this thing. We're going to carry a lot of effects pedals at uh, some of it. It's good. They're going to be companies that, you know, may or may not be very familiar in, you know, I was really trying to not step on anyone's toes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would go around all the local shops and be like, okay, if folks, you know, these shops carry these right. things, I'm going to steer clear. Cause it's like, I respect you. These are the places that I would go to all the yeah. time growing up. So, it's like, I don't want to mess with that. And there's room for everyone. There's plenty of gear out there for everybody. And then obviously, like when there's like the bigger companies and it's like great, solid stuff, but it's just like being a small company, you just can't get the volume yep. of product to get a price that can compete with other avenues. So, so yeah, similarly, it was just kind of reaching out to, you know, musicians, friends that, you know, I played shows with or just kind of knew over the years and just kind of let them know what we were doing and this sort of approach, you know, and, you know, anyone that I kind of thought would be, you know, open to experimentation and was looking for something that sounded different, Mm -hmm. but also the fact that was roadworthy, because that Mm -hmm. was another thing Mm -hmm. that I would always encounter is like, I love the sound of this particular thing. But in one of my projects, our life set was a little rambunctious. So (laughs) things didn't always last very long, you know, whether it was just because of like, (laughs) How chaotic things got on stage, you know, or playing kind of non-traditional venues, loft spaces, yep. stuff like that, where it's just like the distinction between audience and artist, and, you know, <laughs> where, uh, you <laughs> where you stand, where you stand, where cups or bottles yep. are placed, things get whatever. So it was okay, I need a wah pedal that can have at least, you know, a soda and a beer spilt on it. (laughs) Three to four people standing on it at one time. Yeah. Right. And when I do the thing where I would jump off the bass drum to land on the wah to turn it on, (laughs) that it didn't just break. So, you know, you start to like have criteria for things and then, yeah, so just reaching out to people and, you know, so, so there were a lot of like, local artists or bands coming through town back when there were the CMJ music festivals mm-hmm. you know and even with the, the like South by Southwest one was kind of more music focused mm-hmm. you know there would just be bands coming through so then kind of word of mouth would spread and like oh you have the shop board? you know cuz earlier on we would go to venues as much as have people come mm. to us or we go to recording studios so that was just a really you know, a lot of bands really appreciated that, yeah. especially if they didn't have a lot of time or, you know, they got a sweet parking spot <laughs> yep, near wanna, in yeah, the Middle yeah, East yeah. and they don't want to lose mm-hmm. that to come, you know, wherever to try out some pedals. And so, yeah, it just kind of, kind of went on from there. And then, and then it started, then we started to get involved with string players and harp players and, you know, all sort of, again, more tra- un- non-traditional stuff just because of how easy we we made it for people to you know either we could go to them or they could come to yeah. us, and we could create a situation where they that was like optimized for the instrument
0: that's nice experimentation. yeah, 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 having people come to yes. you i'm yeah, if you're a touring musician, like not having to deal with that is real really key, that's great, yeah, not that you know <laughs> I'm sure it's been a a different situation over the last couple of years, obviously as well for everyone involved, but yeah. Are there particular like types of questions that people come to you with? Is there a particular type of clientele that you tend to see? So like why, like when people are coming to you in particular, what does that
2: look like? I think it's evolved over the years and yeah, it's like I could almost see it kind of in waves Mm -hmm. of, and then it just kind of, you know, it's always interesting that like, it's always funny how like the kind of word of mouth and. I don't want to say trends in music, but they're like trends in a, like a type of effect or if someone, you know, when they, if it's recognizable that you're open to a certain approach, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, because we're just so open to, open to how someone wants to create their music. Yeah. So, and and it's always funny because it's like, I always figured, you know, pictured or sort of maybe tapping into a particular scene, but then all these other scenes open uh-huh. up that, that invited us <laughs> in. So like I, there was, like it kind of is like the doom metal and stoner metal stuff. Like, you know, I was aware of that yeah. scene, but was never like in it. But because of some of the pedals that we carried and just the fact that, you know, someone was like, oh, I can bring my baritone guitar mm-hmm. or, you know, do you have, you know, space for me to bring?
0: Right. You know, do you have this like, like really weird HM2, like copy or like the life pedal
2: or what you know like or like that that yeah that it's like oh yeah if you want to bring your son half stack right. to the space that's totally yes. cool like I that seems like a you know it's like it's something that I would yep. do but I know that not everyone's going to want to bring their whole no. setup mm-hmm. over but it's like you're more than like you pay for the time so let's do it yeah. you know bring um,
0: your son like half stack bring your like Whatever baritone guitar or guitar yeah. turned down to like tune to C or something, and we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and hm HM2 variations yes. at the same time. Yes. Yes. Oh yes. my God.
2: <laughs> and it's fun because it's like, you know, we're, you know, I, I have a lot of love and, you know, experience kind of in that a little bit more of the shoegaze yeah. and, you know, space rocks and stuff, but it's like they mesh so well mm-hmm. because I feel like that some of those sounds are kind of carry over yeah. so it's nice to be like oh, okay like these things kind of port over nicely and then some you have to make different adjustments because of how low things yeah. are Are you wanting more low end as opposed to you know there's too much trouble in this or mm-hmm. that or but it's always fun to hear these. it's like for all the experience that we can bring it's a new experience for us. Mm. So it's always interesting. Like, Oh, okay. Like I don't, I didn't notice that quality to this reverb before, but it's totally different now when it's like seven string bass. Right.
0: Right. 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 Yeah.
2: And that's what I also enjoy is that like the sort of, it's like a collaborative thing, you know, like sometimes I'll use the analogy of like, we're almost like in the same way that like a record producer Mm -hmm. You know, as as much as we are like a store, because it's just that, like, I feel like producers have to, recording engineers, have to be receptive to what the artist is doing and step back and not bring their thing. (laughs) But at the same time, that's also what they're supposed to do. So knowing when to interject Mm -hmm. and when not to and being okay with throwing a suggestion out and. Have someone be like, no. And be like, okay, but also like hearing why and then also like, and you know, we're making suggestions.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I definitely had that experience when I came up there too, like where it was like, I had a couple of things I was like, that I saw that you had. I was like, I'd like to try these out. I've been curious about them. And then a couple of things I was like, I might need one of these things. And then there were two pedals in particular that it sort of got, or three pedals that it got narrowed down to. And two of those were ones that I did not select. (laughs) There were ones that you just kind of like put on the board. You're like, maybe try these. And uh, and I ended up coming home with one of them. So that was cool. That was like a fun, you know, kind of a fun adventure because I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't know that I needed this. But apparently this is the one. So so that was. Yeah. And that was a fun. That was just a fun experience for me to be like, oh, here's this new thing that like I hadn't considered. So,
2: yeah. And and for us, too, because it's, you know, that wouldn't have been you know it's it was only in talking yep. and listening to you play and just how like what you were gravitating towards and it's like then that kind of presented yep. itself and that's the fun of it is you know neither of us knew where it was going to oh wind gosh. up yeah. <laughs> the world and i feel like it's yeah it's just like making a record too yeah. it's like that's i think the best stuff happens when you're kind of in the moment and open. just creating
0: yeah. yeah yep open to whatever it might be
2: mm. yeah
1: and like Adam's got this amazing skill, like the pre stuff, like he's always like, Oh, I think this, Oh, I think that. And then like, mm-hmm. we're both in the moment, like, Oh, well, they said this, but now they're doing that. And he's like, well, I think you should maybe, you know, yeah. head down this path. And yep. I think that's part of what was the question about like trends and stuff that you would ask, it's like, in like getting people coming in. And it's yep. like, you can say you do this thing and say, you have like this experience, but until like, You've shown it like Mm -hmm. to a a large enough group of people. Cause it's like the very beginning, it's like skeptics were coming. And then it
0: (laughs) was testing you. Yeah. It's like skeptics (laughs) and
1: like truly beginners. Yeah. Because like somebody who knew you, like, kind of was like, Oh, you should go here. Like they'll teach you, they'll do this, you know, and they'll guide you to what you need, or we'll sit in with your entire band practice. That way it's not just us being like.
0: Add more phase
1: in there. It could be your brain right. being like, yep, crank it, you know?
0: Yep. So yep. yeah, that's so cool for sure. And I wonder too, like, so, so both of you obviously are doing work with this. How does this, how is this as a couple, uh, <laughs> running a small business together? How's that working out for you? How do you, how do you break things right? up or?
1: It, it truly depends. It's like, sometimes it's truly like the tag team. It depends with like basically who the person is and who's coming in. If it is somebody from the GRC Boston community, I tend to take the lead and basically like make sure that the person feels comfortable, you know, yeah. and can like establish a relationship with Adam. And because I mean, so many people have had negative interactions mm-hmm. in the music scene with uh, with folks and I'll tend to take the lead on that. Or if it a lot of it just depends like who kind of talked to the person first. Right. With both of our, like both of us work our day jobs as well, yep. so it also depends on um
0: scheduling. Scheduling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Adam
1: tends to like when we do bigger events because we've done a lot of either like education events, like going mm-hmm. to a new community and bringing stuff to demo and doing giving a talk. Adam seems to really love like curating the boards and like really putting things together and taking the time to build and we'll take the lead on that. And, uh, yeah, at the events, we just kind of like divide and conquer and <laughs> we'll kind of split between like, all right, I'm going to, you know, tell you about first distortion and overdrive and like where flange came from and all of this. And then he's going to mm-hmm. kind of get break down like the nuances of each pedals and explain like when I strum this and you're hearing that, like what it is. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I was just curious about that too. And I'm also curious as far as like, so you have this other, you both have full-time jobs, right? So like, has that always been like this, the plan, like this is just a separate other thing and we're going to, you know, that's just the sort of the business plan that you have.
1: At some point having like a dedicated brick and mortar and Mm -hmm. at least for it to be like Adam's full-time job. Like I really Mm -hmm. love being a teaching artist and being able to be out in the community in that way, but having him have this as the full-time down the road would be amazing. And Mm -hmm. with, the you know, pandemic and economics and all of that (laughs) stuff, it's like, who
0: knows, but very real. Yep.
1: It's such an amazing creative outlet for both of us. And Mm -hmm. it's so energizing as creative people to, you know, be around other people's creativity and to, you know, we talk about you know, sparking creativity or igniting creativity with a click of a pedal. And it's just like the person's getting that, but we're also getting that from them and like yeah. being in that creative space.
0: Yeah. So so as far as, like, your own experiences in in retail, so Adam, you talked a little bit about yours already, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit about your own other, like, maybe Jenny, if you want to talk about your experiences, like, what's worked well for you, what hasn't worked well, and this could be, I'm saying retail, like you could also, like, when t- thinking about gender identities and gear, and like, how those things have sort of overlapped for you, and it could be in retail, it could be in, like, show going, it could be recording, whatever, however you want to respond. Yeah. I think the
1: instances that tend to stick out for me going into retail, like gear retail shops, there have been a few times, I mean, there's the typical where it's just like you walk in and it's like either, it's almost like the infantilization speech where it's just like, oh, how can I help you? You know, or, you know, making some of the, you know, the doll or whatever comments, like one sticks out in my head, like I was getting, going to a shop that had this vintage fuzz and like I wanted it, I knew what I did my research, like knew everything. And the guy at the music shop wouldn't let me touch the pedal, nor would he let me play the guitar through the pedal, nor did he know what it did. So he was just like, Yeah, it works fine. And it's like, there's no wah happening. Can I and he it was almost like the slapping the hand, no? And like he warmed up to me touching the pedal, but still uh-huh. wouldn't let me play guitar through. And it's just like I'm out of here. So I drove to uh, a music shop. I drove to Empire in Providence because I yeah. knew that Mike down there would be kind to me and treat me uh, like a musician and not as a as a liability. Oh my gosh. That's wild. It's, yeah. It's like some of my other experiences, like more of the negative have been like certain booths at Nam and like mm. dealing with that. And I remember... Like going in really excited. And then, like, you know, the armor kind of like you start, it gets a little heavy. And we went into one booth and I was like, I can't, like, not another person. And the owner of the company came up and struck up a conversation because I had a GRC Boston patch on Mm -hmm. and was the nicest human and like kind of did that, like, gave me some hope for the rest of the day. Nice. (laughs) So
0: slowly, like, remove the armor. Yeah, a little bit see how it goes yep Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and it's just like I notice like now certain places it's just like all right my my guard is down or my guard is like way up depending on the vibe so yeah
0: yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah Adam did you have any uh thoughts on gender and identities and gear
2: yeah um when it, it was something that became like very apparent to me like early on and I've sort of i think i mentioned earlier you know i was sort of used to not being taken seriously you know at a young age in different music shops mm-hmm. and i think just any store there was so i think there's like an old school way of doing business where like if you're under the age of whatever mm-hmm. or if you are you know like look a certain way you know or like a little scruffy looking yeah. long hair whatever like you're kind of not Regarded with some suspicion, or you're not going to spend any money. The same, like you feel the same way, like you know, when you're like in your teens or college, and you go to that like like a diner, and you're just like you and your friends are just like nursing those coffees Mm -hmm. and like some toast or something, and they're like, "Are you gonna like? You got to order something else or get out." You know. So it's used to that, and I just always assumed it was like, "Oh, that's just like kind of like how punk rockers or whatever treated." Mm -hmm. But I remember in college, a friend of mine who was. Uh, my friend laura was going to the guitar shops and stuff and just like okay i'm used to being treated like eh, but then noticed that like it was a similar thing or like like jen said that like there was like a different tone and like some shops were just both treated equally mm-hmm. whatever in some places were really cool but it was just like why are they talking to you like mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. you know like you're an awesome guitarist and you know uh, like and you know, know all this cool music and just kind of like Having that click, mm-hmm. and then, and I remember, um you know, I think she had auditioned for a band and was to- just told, like, oh, you know, we want a different type of singer, or we want something that was like very gendered. Yeah. And I just remember, like, it just hit in a way, and I was like, wait, that's. I mean, I think it was just like the phrasing, because it's like I get it if you're if you're uh, wanting to form a band and you're looking for like musicians to fit a certain role, like that's totally cool, but it's also that like. The way it was presented to her was like, "Cause you're a girl, you know." I mean? We don't like and women's just, voices. It's fine, and it just was like, "Wow, that's okay." Mm-hmm. Like, and it like got me thinking, like, "That's messed up," but also like, "Okay, well, how? What is the way that you would, you know?" Because obviously, like, okay, if I'm if I was forming a, you know, you know, a Beatles cover band, and then someone was like, "Wouldn't like, oh, I don't want to play the Beatles, but I really want to be in this yeah. band," like, the you're it's within your right to be like, "Well, this is a Beatles yeah. cover band, so like, we're not gonna." play this other thing but you know the flip side being like okay you're not going to like if someone knows all the songs and whatever you're not gonna not have them because right you know whatever. yeah they don't look like a beetle right. <laughs> yeah.
0: but i I do appreciate that, that your point around the like ageism thing too because I feel like everyone experiences that probably at some point right like everyone you have that experience of being like oh okay like I had someone treat me poorly because they didn't think I was old enough or what, you know, and therefore wouldn't have enough money to afford something or I'm going to cause trouble or steal Mm -hmm. something or whatever the thing might be that they think teenagers or younger folks are going to do. And then being able to see how that kind of lines up. It's like you're walking, like you're almost like walking into this, like, intersectional experience of being like here's my experience of being a white man and but younger and here is her experience of being a woman and younger and like how those things sort of like what that experience of ageism looks like in both situations it's fascinating (laughs) yeah yeah and how Um, it how they come together
2: and and one other thing i try to be aware of is you know i you know i get really excited talking about music gear and stuff but i also understand that like that intensity can you know i have to be careful about how i'm like hey let me tell you about this it's awesome and be like whoa dude like back up um dial it down so it's like i try to be really mindful of that and then then similarly like you know it's like we can all be like very like oh that's really cool or kind of dismissive of a thing like i don't really like that Mm -hmm. so so it's like i try to try like always kind of learning to check myself to be like, you know, how am I perceived Mm -hmm. outside of myself? Because I know I have my own, like, I know what I'm trying to say, but, and especially like someone else's experience might, you know, they just see a white dude like in the guitar world and like, he's, just going to be like everybody else you know yeah. so I just try and to give give that space yeah i
1: was gonna say and you adam does such a great job like whether it's we're at a gear store and i've asked mm-hmm. a question and they're directing the answer to him mm-hmm. that he reels in that enthusiast like he may want to <laughs> ask a ton of questions but he'll like, <laughs> reel it in and kind of check off to the side yeah but also like when somebody's like oh yeah i really want to do blah 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 with this you know guitar pedal and it's just like you know, inside maybe it's like that cringe moment. It's Mm. like he tends to do the kind of guided discovery, like, oh, tell me more about that. Like I'm Mm. not familiar and like is really good at being grounded and
0: supportive even when it's not his cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm wondering if there are like particular challenges that you see for like for like small retailers that, you know, that could be related to gender or diversity or like things that could be broader than that too. Like what are some challenges that come up for you all running this business in the, in the industry? I think
1: just a general challenge, like one of the big ones is like meeting people, answering questions, sharing knowledge, like going through everything that would be like, Mm. cool, I'm just going to go buy this online, Yeah, you know, and they'll go, or sometimes they're doing it right then and there, like Googling it and like, Oh, "Oh, oh cool. And that's Become less. I think people are becoming more mindful of the need to support smaller businesses and less of the billionaire corporations. I think like other challenges. I mean, definitely pandemic related is like being close to folks still, and we're kind of riding that wave still. And the supply chain challenges Mm -hmm. because it's like smaller businesses aren't necessarily receiving the same things as some of the bigger corporations who can
2: order five hundred units and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you want to add anything, Adam? Yeah, I often thinking about you know there's like the struggles that store owners have musicians have it and i think there's in addition to things like the supply chain or you know that things are so readily available just the ability to research in order Mm. so you know i totally get what we do is a unique thing and to kind of go through the process of reaching out setting up a time Yeah. Having that back and forth of like, oh, you know, send me some some links to your music that we can listen to and think about it. It's not as like immediate or gratifying as like, I'm going to read a couple things and then just order it and then maybe like it or not. You know, so it's like, I totally get what we do is not for everybody or the appeal isn't always there. And so, you know, that's that maybe be one factor for the business in this day and age. And then there's also, I keep thinking about some of like the larger stuff in terms of, you know, a lot of our customers are professional musicians or, you know, or derive some part of their livelihood from playing mm-hmm. music, touring, recording music, or working in venues or in at studios. And because of that, shows are happening again, but they're still very, it's still very tenuous, yeah. you know, and things are getting canceled. And so for, for us, it, it's like, doubly hard because <laughs> it's hard to get uh, some of the pedals in because everybody's like there's shortages yeah. of this and that but it's also tough because it's like the people who would be buying the stuff they're really still s- stuck in the uh, you know just trying to get by kind of thing or maybe just getting back out on tour yeah. or they're just now like getting working their full shifts you know at the club or the bar, or, you know, whatever. So it's interesting that we sort of s- s- see that the sort of the pain of the pandemic in a different way. That like maybe a larger retail mm. or you know, it's like it's great that uh, you know during the pandemic so many people got got started like, buying but, stuff yeah. and doing all this stuff, but you know that wasn't the case for all musicians. And I I feel like it comes out you know here or there mm-hmm. in in stuff, but I really you know. You like it just kind of weighs on me is just like that feeling like well, there's this whole all of these people who are really still struggling totally. even though like for the most part you know it, it's like in the big broad strokes oh yeah we can say things are back yeah but it's like i still it's like we see it and then and you know I guess we won't go too deep no, into it, but the mean, whole like streaming royalties yeah, and e- you yeah, like yeah. and the fact that yeah. like the revenue streams and like it's just I don't know. It's like we we see the toll that it's taking on on musicians, and you know, it's just something like. But but then it just like. I don't know how to fix yeah. it. <laughs> sort of beyond the scope of what we can do, but it's just like one of those, like, I, I see it and I right. feel it and it's just, it's there. And, you know, it's just something that we we're always kind of trying to, to be mindful of and, and think about. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any answers. Yeah. <laughs> but it's something that I guess like we're recognizing. and
0: That makes sense. Yeah. Figuring out, like, how to adapt to that. And I'm sure that's been part of what you've been doing. But, like, how do you adapt to, you know, people's needs shifting during this time? And, like, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. But it's like without getting negative about it, but just thinking, okay, what are, what are other ways to sort of allow people to tap into the creativity or resources? Yep. Um,
0: Yeah. Well, and you were doing the like virtual consultations as well. I'm assuming you would still do those, um, or are still doing them. So that's one thing, but it's also like, you know, maybe knowing people's like budget (laughs) coming in, like that seems to make sense broadly anyway. Right. Like. Yeah. What are the pedals that can do this that are less expensive, you know, or approximate this? Like that seems like I'm imagining that's part of what that might look like.
1: Yeah, I cases. think some of it's also like now yeah, that some events are happening like yep. you know, doing some of those, doing them in a safe way that we're both yep. comfortable with and hopefully attendees are doing what's comfortable for them and just kind of being present that we're there yep. now we're here for you even if you're not buying anything like just to experience yeah and then when you are at a point you know hopefully you'll think of us and if not yep. thanks for stopping by and you know for sharing some sounds with us
0: totally yeah that's really nice building it's i mean it sounds like it's a lot about like building relationships at that point yeah
1: it's like the community needs to join together big time
0: so, totally yeah, yeah. So, you know, for folks who are kind of like on the newer end of pedals, like this is something maybe they've been like slowly dipping their toes into or sort of like curious about, but maybe like kind of like confused or nervous about, what would you, what advice would you give to them? They're like, it seemed they seem cool, but, and I might get into them, but I don't know where to start. Like, what would you recommend?
1: There's so much is personal preference and like the music that they're grabbing, gravitate towards listening to and gravitate towards Mm -hmm. playing and finding the things that kind of fit into either of the, either or both of those categories and not to be like, Oh, this is your first pedal. You should have a single knob and a single switch. It's like, no, you should have like something that's exciting and it's going to spark that creativity and get you thinking about the next song you're going to write or the next five songs you're going to write. I feel like a lot of my experience with the first time pedal buyers are like they do tend to go towards like the reverb and delay and whatnot it's like it's mm-hmm. such it's approachable and it's so different and it adds like such ambiance to things that they're already doing mm-hmm. they're able to kind of layer and like so many of the pedals out there it's just like there's at least like two modes that they can have or maybe three and like yeah They're not super intimidating pedals, but they're also super tactile. So you can kind of hear like, oh, well, this just changed the speed of it or this changed like the depth of things. So it's it does seem to be a really approachable first pedal. And it does seem to fit into almost every musical category.
0: Yeah, it's funny. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about like like folks going towards a reverb or a delay like that makes a lot of sense. It also makes sense. well, this can go both ways selecting distortion or an overdrive as like your first pedal in some ways it's cool because you're like it just makes everything sound cool like that was my image original situation when I first got my first like pedal but also it can sound scary and loud and if you're Mm -hmm. like already not used to taking up a lot of space yeah maybe that's you're not comfortable dipping into that so yeah I don't know Mm -hmm. I just thought about that
1: and you can get that same, like not same cacophony at the end, but like, if you like let it kind of feedback on itself, it's like Oscillate, you can start yeah. tweaking, getting into that. And
0: then, yeah. 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 Options. I don't know if that's a real thing with the distortion. I
2: just thought of it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's it. It's a good point. And I think it's really a good, it's like, it could be good practice to learn how to take up space and being it's because it's with some of those sounds you have to commit to it, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you don't know how to control, like it's, it's probably some like psychological and philosophical element here, but that like, if you bring that big sound and you don't know how to wield it properly, Mm -hmm. you're going to have feedback. You're going to have the, like all the noise and stuff. So it's, but it's like, if you can become confident wielding that sound and like keeping it under control and have it it sound cool, like you can translate that to other aspects because it's like when you feel confident in what you're playing, it kind of carries forth and how you carry yourself or present. So yeah. Yeah. I say do it. Get loud. Good <laughs> reason.
1: I always loved it, uh, Love like GRC or LRC Boston. Like when somebody would use one for the first time, and mm-hmm. would either be hands over ears or like jaw to the floor. Right. And like there have been a couple of adults and youth that it's just like now I want to feedback. How do I make my amp feedback into my guitar <laughs> while this thing's happening? And it's just like taking that space. It, like, yep. yeah, just kind of seeing that quick transition, like in a matter of a day from like the cover my ears and, sh- you know, shrug my shoulders to the like, I'm going to slide on my knees and put my guitar into the amplifier and the sound guy is going to be so fed up. <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, for other folks if you were speaking to other folks in the industry about like how to make it better if they came to you like asking for recommendations like how how can we make change in the industry to make it more inclusive or diverse or whatever how what kind of recommendations would you give to folks
1: i mean i think so much of it starts with self-examination it's like there's Mm -hmm. so many times that we don't realize like maybe what our face is doing or maybe like (laughs) the the way the impact of our words versus the intent that they're given and like truly reflecting because it's like you can It's the whole like talk the talk, walk the walk sort of thing. It's like you could really want to make things inclusive. However, until you examine yourself and start putting like even small baby steps into practice, it's like you're able to, you know, have that ripple effect out. And then if you're building community with other music shops, other pedal builders, other, you know, musicians, bands, like, recording studios or whatever, who are like-minded and, uh, maybe doing a little calling into the ones who aren't, you know, Mm. trying to get them to kind of see, you know, the potentially unattended harm that, that is being caused or unintentional exclusion that's happening. I think that's like a really huge starting point.
0: Yeah.
2: That makes a lot of sense.
0: Adam, did you want to end anything?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, one, one thing I try to be mindful of is even though, you know, we were very open, and kind of invite anyone to reach out like Jen was saying with the self examination, it's like, it's so easy to kind of get in, you know, like whether you sort of put yourself into a box or, you know, like what's the term, the silos. Mm -hmm. It's like, not because you want to be, but just because it's like, Oh, okay. You know, this is sort of the space that we occupy and, or, you know, uh, thinking like, if you're, you're like other, you know, manufacturers or other stores, like, We have this place. We have this store. We make this product, and you know, of course, everyone can Mm -hmm. use it. It's you know, but it's like figuring out how, like, does there need to be more outreach? Does there need to be like the messaging changed because maybe there's no intention to be exclusionary, but it just sort of happens, and that's something that it's like you know, most trying to look at and figuring out, you know, oh. How, what are the ways to kind of, you know, have that broader appeal to, to, to
1: yeah. setting the intention to be inclusion? Yes. And exactly. Because like that is such a thing you like, well, if you're not, ex, if you're not including, then you're
0: excluding. So, yeah. yeah. You have to be intentional and, around and, that. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. 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 The, I think about this so much with regard to like small businesses in particular and because it is so easy to just be like, I'm going to hire my friend and then my friend's friend and what? my friend's friend, and we all look exactly the same and we like the same music and we know the same people. And it really takes some intention, as you're saying, I think, to like not do that. So that's just for hiring. It could go further. But like, that's just one example that I think about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. So. So what are you psyched about that's coming up? What's what, what do you want to share with people? Is there you know some way that people can stay in touch with you? How can they follow Sonic forever? until the end of time
1: (laughs) we have a few in-person events we're doing a little sonic installation for the boston synth fest at the museum of science or new england synth fest at the (laughs) museum of science in june july and august which is always amazing and they've got some awesome performances lined up and uh we're looking forward to setting up a workshop with the beats by girls boston chapter Mm. as well
0: cool what happens at that type of workshop is it just like an intro to pedals, kind of?
1: Yes, yeah, so the beats by Girls Boston will be, you know, a little bit of education, introduction, as well as the hands-on experience and like being able to use, you know, their instrument of choice or technology of choice to go right. through the effects and kind of dip their toes into that world. Cool. Or dive that deeper. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so how can folks stay in contact with you?
2: We're on Instagram, Twitter, and so you can follow us there and keep tabs on what we're doing and there is a YouTube channel that has been sadly neglected <laughs> but there is some really good content that I'm still really proud of that you can see some live performances from one of our birthday celebrations and also some we had done a, a series a while back called sonic explorations where we had invited some musicians to choose from a selection of pedals and just kind of come up with a, a little improv musical mm-hmm. piece and um, so those those are a lot of fun and so you can see what a couple different folks came up with
0: cool Mm -hmm. well thank you all very much once again for for talking to me today for you know letting me hang out with you for supporting the podcast all of these things
2: Um, thanks for having uh, us this is awesome thank
0: you so much That was such a fun interview. What a great team doing something like really pretty unique in the industry, I think. And you can check out the show notes for all of their links to their pedals for sale, of which they have many and a rad selection, to a video uh, made for their eighth anniversary a few years back where they hung with Kurt Blue at uh, God City Studios. And they hooked up literally 200 pedals and invited tons of musicians to try them out. It is pretty amazing and wild. Um, you can check out uh, some of their own music as well. All right. So I had mentioned before that I recently finished this beta course um, about creating inclusive works, workplaces and music retail. Um, and I will say a major concern, which came up for them and comes up in almost every conversation and interaction I have with companies in hiring discussions was the topic of tokenism. So the good news is that these companies really mean well. And mo- I mean, I think most companies do, um, but you know, they're, these I, I think the folks in particular bring it up are people who are already aware of tokenism as an issue and they want to avoid it, right? But especially when you come from a place with like a fairly homogenous staff of like mostly cis white men, many folks are also pretty nervous about it and it can become somewhat paralyzing and they don't necessarily know what to do about it. Like they don't know what 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 to make, you know, help alleviate that. So what can you do when hiring like the quote unquote first or like the first few of a new identity into your company? And I would say much more of this would be, or much of this would be applicable for like show booking, for festivals, for adding new folks to your artist roster, all of this. Like it's all kind of the same question, right? Like how are you diversifying the folks that you're in your community that you're bringing in? Um, And these are some of the first steps to take. So first of all is train your current staff. So training your current staff can help them understand the dynamics of racism, sexism, other experiences of oppression, so that when the person comes on board, they will hopefully be more sensitive and empathetic. And if the staff believes that diversifying your hiring is important, the new employee is less likely to be tokenized. Second, hire for more than identity. So yes, you've heard me say a bajillion times here, like how important it is to diversify your hiring, and someone's experience and perspective as a member of an oppressed group is valuable and can't be trained, and that is a unique thing. But that doesn't mean that you hire some random person just because they are a person of color or a woman or whatever the person who's hired needs to have the skills or personality traits or whatever it is to do the job or be able to be trained into the job, right? Like you can't just do it, (laughs) it can't just be some rando. It has to be somebody that can do the job. Um, So you also need to be clear with them about why they were hired. So letting an employee know that they have something important that they can provide to the company above and beyond their identity can help them feel like they are truly valued and not being used for who they are as well, which is really important, right? Then you need to be clear with the other employees about why they're being hired, right? So I would say, in some ways, this is perhaps like the most important point. So, other employees need to know that this person was being hired for their skills, for their abilities beyond their identity. And if you do this, they will be less likely to treat this employee with jealousy, distrust, hostility, or whatever happens when somebody feels like that kind of thing is happening. Something to pay a lot of attention to. And doing that kind of before when somebody is coming on is really, really important. Um, So with that, so five, be intentional in onboarding. So if you do a good job with creating trust and community between the employees, And making the employee feel welcomed and like they belong, you're a lot less likely to have issues with the employee feeling tokenized or other employees treating them as though they are being, uh, you know, as though they are tokenized. So... Six, train and uh, support your new employee. So, provide proper training with, uh, will help, providing them with proper training will help to get the new employee sort of like up and running and able to fulfill the role quickly, right? So, leading in that case for fewer people to sort of like treat them as though they are a token because they're like obviously competent. Um, And, you know, they'll feel more confident in their own abilities as well. So, you can also then like set up regular check ins with them. Um, and that'll help you understand where they're at and what else they might need to succeed. And that's not putting it all on them, but also it it is helping them to kind of get to where they need to go. So then seven, you need to address any negative comments immediately. So if you overhear negative comments from your staff, from your customers, anywhere else, indicating that this person was hired for their identity or like such comments are reported to you, make a point to stop them immediately and reaffirm why this person was hired. Um, I'm thinking like an example of this in social media, like when somebody brings an art, uh, like a somebody who's not like a cis white man on um, as like an artist, for example, and they show them online and then people start making negative comments, like people need to immediately shut that down. That's really important. Um, all right, so uh, eight, don't make them represent. This should be obvious. So <laughs> don't make that person speak for everyone of their identity, so asking specific questions like, "How do trans people feel about that?" or like looking at them when their identity comes up in a conversation, like to to get the like, "What do what do they think? Uh, what are what do your people think?" Like it's it's very awkward, and if you know if they want to provide their personal experience or opinion about something, uh, they can, and that is valuable. And they very likely have some helpful insights, but don't assume that every one of their identity feels the same way and don't expect to have them speak on everyone's behalf. All right. Nine, have high expectations. So understanding the challenges, obviously, that someone who is the first coming in to a space is important, um, You know, including any sort of external challenges that they may experience due to their identities, right? But it is also potentially offensive and demeaning not to be held to the same standards that you would hold other employees to, right? And that can lead to feelings of frustration from other employees as well. So expecting people to do well and do their job seems fair. Um, 10, be intentional in offboarding. So if this person is leaving the company, um, have an exit interview with them to find out why. Ask them specifically what their experiences were like with coworkers, with management, with customers. Um, If they had any sort of like negative experiences, were any of those tied to their identity? What could the company have done better? All of this is extremely important to know so that they don't get, you know, these things don't get repeated again in the future. And the next like, quote unquote, only one has a better experience. Um, And the only one becomes more than one, right? All right. So overall, trust building, honesty, clear communication can go a long way in improving the experience of any new employee. Right. Like that's really important. But for employees with identities outside of those of their coworkers, it means even more. And they will know that they are a value part of the team and that will create a better experience for everyone involved. Right. All right. So. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate and review it so more folks can hear about it. And stay in touch on Instagram or Facebook between episodes. Thanks for listening.